What are you? How, how do you describe yourself? I'm an what enigma. do you tell people that you do? That's what I... <laughs> I uh, a, a bit of a, if you want to call it a unicorn, but a unicorn's a little bit too feminine for me when people call, call them that. So I'm like, I'm an enigma. It sounds How about a mysterious. centaur? I could, I could work want to be that, a centaur? Yeah. Hey, I'm Armando Leduc, producer, film actor, and owner of Leduc Entertainment. I have chosen a life off the beaten path and wanted to find others that are doing the same. Spaghetti on the Wall is a show based on all of the years that I've thrown spaghetti on the wall and nurtured what's stuck. We will share fun stories, ideas, tips, tricks, and more. Welcome to Spaghetti on the Wall. What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to another episode of Spaghetti on the Wall. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Jordan is in the house. What's up, Rick? What's shaking, Armando? I guess we're going to throw it at the wall and see what sticks today, huh? Yeah, well, you know, we're going to throw it at the wall and nurture what sticks. Awesome. That's the that that's the thing, right? So it's like it's 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 about you know, living the life, experiencing things and then, you know, seeing what is sticking and then nurturing that stuff, right? Like the the yeah. the the dreams and, and and what we're good at and not necessarily focusing on the things that we're bad at. Dude, I was talking right? about this a little bit yesterday with my team cuz on uh on Mondays cuz we're recording on a Tuesday, on Mondays I do CEO talks. Uh, with with acquiring so many companies here over the next two years, it's a way for all of our acquisitions to still like stay connected back to the mothership, you know, which in essence is me. So they get to still hear my voice, you know, culture gets instilled, all of that. And I was talking yesterday about it. it's like, hey, when you're in your 20s, it's like mess around with everything you possibly can. Try everything that you can. Because when you get to your 30s, you can start to filter out some of those things. And like you're talking, nurture them. And then when you get in your 40s, that's the time to really like hone in, right? Still still dabble in some things, but your 40s are the decade. At least I've been told this and I'm starting to notice this now in my early 40s. Your 40s are the decade when you start to really make your money and gain wisdom. But only because you threw so much spaghetti at the wall when you were in your 20s. No doubt. How many jobs have you had in your life? Oh my God, man. Um, you know, not as many as some would think. However, when I was in, uh, I started really young. My very first job was when I was like 12 years old and it was for an old store called Video Concepts. So I started working that young, but th this was like, do you remember TurboGrafx-16? I think we're, I we're of the same age bracket, you know. Was, I, I grew up in Germany, so I don't know. You, know, you don't know? Okay. I don't know that. What You've is heard that? of Nintendo, right? And there was totally. also Sega, and you know, then there was PlayStation. And back then, we had uh, we had TurboGrafx-16. It was the first 16-bit video game system that ever existed. So my dad was working for this store called Video Concepts at the time, and talked the manager into hiring me just for the launch of this thing. And all I did was sat and play video games for the, for two days. That's it. When I was 12, I was like, awesome. dude, I, I was living the life. Cause I was getting paid 10 bucks an hour. Just at, just at 12 years old. And I, I did, you know, it was, a, it was a store in the mall and they'd take me down to, to get Sabaro's pizza for lunch and everything. I mean, at 12, what more could you ask for? That's living the dream. Literally. But then, Dude, I mean, it, it was McDonald's, it was Merrill Lynch, it was Best Buy, it was Geek Squad. I've had 70. Wow. But that's because, I, that's because I'm an actor, right? I've been an actor since 98, and so I'm always, you know, I'm always having to, like, move on. And the, 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 the bosses didn't like when I had an audition. And I'm like, they're like, hey, if you're going to go to this audition, you may not have a job. And I'm like, well, I guess I don't have a job then, man. You know, so I feel like entrepreneurship was definitely where where it was headed for me, you know, because I was like, I've got to control my own schedule, you know. 
that was the impetus for me starting my own business. It was because I wanted the flexibility of auditioning whenever I wanted to or had to. No doubt. You know, now that you mentioned that, because I mean, I, I, I always called myself bivocational for years too, because I'm still an ordained minister and I helped plant three different churches, you know, and I guess you could say worked at another one. Yeah. So that's, that would be like another four jobs. But then even like last week when I was on a, uh, a TV show with David Meltzer, Two Minute Drill. You know, I've, I was filming six episodes. This is coming up here on the next season on Apple TV Plus. You know, right. it was on Bloomberg TV. Now it was picked up by Apple TV Plus. But I'm a judge, an anchor judge on six of the twelve episodes. So that that's another job too. You know, so I think that over the past many years, maybe there's more than I'm just not thinking of. But who knows? Because I, I could see yeah, that from well, entertainment. You know, yeah, doing stand up at Carolines. You know, I mean, that's a job, right, on Broadway. <laughs> That's true. Are you are, so? What do you, what are your thoughts on? Um, and I'm gonna just be bouncing around because as as I have questions, I'm just gonna be like, hey, what do you think about this cryptocurrency? Tell me about it. Crypto, man, we've we've had a rough ride this year, haven't we? Yeah, it's it's been it's been emotional over the past year and a half, really, because everything started to skyrocket towards the end of 2020, and then everything just tanked recently. And overall, crypto, in my opinion, has some use cases, but it's really only right now for what you could compare like to blue chip stocks, which would be the big ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum, you know, or like Ethereum version two that's going to be out. It takes less energy, right? Because I mean, I, even when I bought my Ethereum name, right, which is just rickjordan.eth, you can buy these. It's like a domain name, right? And it points to a, a digital wallet. I did this in the, my Ethereum name, my domain name for Ethereum was only five bucks a year. So I bought it for 10 years, right? 50 bucks. But then the gas fees, the amount of energy consumed to just process the transaction cost me another $270. Oof. So to buy the domain itself was just 50 bucks, right? But to actually process the transaction of me paying for that domain with Ethereum, was another $270, just you know, five times the amount of the actual transaction itself to process it. And I'm like, something's gotta change. I know Ethereum's coming out with more energy efficient ways now with version two. And I'm interested to see where it goes because right now it consumes so much energy, man. And this has you know, gone into and contributed to the global chip shortage that we have because in 2020, everybody started to buy up all the graphics cards and all the CPUs and everything, which contributed to this in addition to the work from home demand. And that's why we're in the position we are right now to where used cars are costing just as much, if not more, as new cars because of this chip shortage. And people are ordering laptops from Dell and it's taking three months to get their freaking laptop when it used to take three days. Uh, So crypto has contributed to this issue that we have worldwide and now a lot of people lost a lot of their life savings, man, and their retirement plans because of this crash. So do you think that they're going to come up with a solution to, to, to make it faster so that these transactions can happen faster? Yeah, I'm curious. I think the short answer is yes, and I'm curious as to who you think they is. Oh, uh, yeah, true. You know, look, I'm a baby when it comes to this crypto world. I, I, I just picked up a client called Fat Cat Killer, and these guys own a badass name. Yeah, it's cool, right? Um, so they have businesses here in New Orleans, really successful businesses. These guys have been in business for twenty plus years, super influential in the community. Um, they they have you know, and, and New Orleans is a hub for for international travel, right? So all these people that come in have this crypto 
And they're like, we would love to be able to pay you in crypto when we come to your, you know, bars and, and, and events uh, and, and uh, hospitality. And so they're like, all right, well, let's start a coin, but with the utility of, of a merchant services account. And so that's what they're focused on right now is so that they can have emergent services in several, you know, bars and things like that around the world where people can buy, you know, with crypto. And obviously they needed to have their own coin to make that happen. So anyway, I'm, I'm learning about all of this. Yeah. It's super fun and exciting, you know, so whenever I can ask people about it, you know, especially in the uh, security world, I'm, I'm all about it. So I made a lot of money earlier this year in Catcoin. Have you heard of Catcoin? I have not. No. So it, it was supposed to be like the Shiba Inu killer. Right, because Shiba Inu is based off of a dog, right? And then there's Dogecoin, which of course skyrocketed when Elon Musk tweeted about it, and then also about uh, Shiba Inu, right? Because he bought a brand new Shiba Inu and tweeted the photo of this thing, and that's when Shiba took off. And there was Catcoin, which was supposed to be this alternative to it, and like the the Shiba Inu killer. I got in when it was uh, it was in February, no, sorry, January, and it was. So low, I only put about $3,000 into it. That, that's it. And then it was within about the next five days that it skyrocketed and went up to about 15K that I had in there. But then over the next three weeks, at its highest point, I had about $170,000 sitting there just in about a month's time. And then as soon as the first missile hit in Ukraine from Russia, that's when the market's freaking tanked. You sure. know, when, when all of crypto tanked. And it went back down, and I haven't lost any at this point, you know, which is great. But it went right back down to where it was when I picked it up. You know, and, and crypto is just like, it, I'll try to dumb this down, you know, and I mean that so affectionately too. Crypto is just like any other capital market, you know, with the exception of its valuations are different, right? So I have a public company, Reach Out Technology, public security company, and when you're private. It's pretty much whatever your valuation is, is how much money the thing is. But when you're public, however much money people are putting into it actually affects the valuation, you know, and it's called the book value. So if, if you look at Shiba Inu, right, at one point, I think there was like $11 trillion in Shiba. That means that people actually invested $11 trillion in Shiba. But then if they had a different use case for it, you know, like they were going to do merchant processing, like you're saying, which a lot of uh, countries in the East were starting to accept Shiba. And I even saw some nonprofits, like universities and everything, starting to accept Shiba for forms of payment for tuition and other donations. As soon as the use case starts to go up, then the valuation of that company or of that coin starts to exceed the actual liquidated value, meaning if everybody sold, how much money could actually be pulled out of it? Because it's based on future projections, how much this will actually do, right? So book value, liquidated value is as of today, which you can find all of this stuff on coinmarketcap.com. You can see actually the fully liquidated value of any coin that's out there. You just punch in its ticker or whatever, you know, really it's, it, you know, I say ticker because that's what everybody understands from stock from the sure. stock world, right? You can punch in the co the coin name and see exactly what the fully liquidated value would be, which means if the thing went, if everybody pulled their money out right now, that's how much cash comes out of it. And if it exceeds that, the amount of actual dollars times the amount of coins that are held, that means that it's based on future projections. Gotcha. So if if you and I started a coin today and we put a million dollars into it. That coin is worth a million dollars total, period. 
because we don't have right. a use case, right? It's only it's worth- like the goal. It's what's backing it. Exactly. Right. Right on. Yeah. Our cash is the gold <laughs> that's right. backing it for sure. And Bitcoin and Ethereum, they have use cases all around the world now at this point. So their valuation exceeds the fully liquidated value, the actual amount of cash that's in there. So somebody like your friends that are starting up a, a, a new coin, right? Th this is the kicker. And this is why we go to like the blue chips, right? Why they're the actual safest and safe is a relative term because crypto, even if it's Bitcoin, is still very volatile, as you can see, right? It lost so much of its value this year, so much of it. That's a correction in the marketplace because its valuation actually way exceeded what its actual use case and fully liquidated value was. So your friends, in order to actually have this thing take off, they need to have a good use case behind it to where it gets widely adopted, literally by the world, to be used for something rather than just using their own coin. If they can process Bitcoin and process Ethereum with their merchant provider service, then it's a, of a better deal and it might actually bring more value to their coin that way. They, they can take that to the bank, literally. <laughs> I'll, let them, I'll let them know. I'm, I'll, I'll show them this podcast. Um, so switching gears here. So you are, what are you? How, how do you describe yourself? I'm an what enigma. do you tell people that you do? That's what I... <laughs> A, uh, a, a bit of a, if you want to call it a unicorn, but a unicorn's a little bit too feminine for me when people call, call me. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm an enigma. It sounds How about a centaur? Mysterious. I could, I could work with that. You want to be that. a centaur? Yeah. yeah. My soul animal is, a, is an African bush elephant, right? Which is the, the largest mammal that's on the face of the planet. I had a reading a little while back and it's so interesting how it matches my personality too. It's pretty cool because uh, I'm a forger. That's one of the biggest things is that there's, there's a difference between the African elephant and the Asian elephant. The Asian elephant's domesticated. It moves trees around, even like specific orders and all that. But the bush elephant is a forger. It creates new paths. And when I had that, I was like, oh my Lord, this is what I've been doing my literal entire life is finding new ways to do things and creating new ways to do things. And I'm not even one that I feel to actually move something to completion at some point because I, I'm good at forging and starting, but then I need the people behind me to actually continuously operate these things. That's not necessarily my role, right? And I know that I'm not even that good at that either. But coming up with the, the creative out of the box ways to do brand new things, that's, that's my gig, man. Yeah, my, um, my spirit animal is the uh, deer in headlights. I'm just the deer. constantly like <laughs> not just a deer, but a deer in the headlights. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so you have you ever read that book Rocket Fuel? Yeah, man. Yep. Integrators and Visionaries. Yep. Dude, yeah. so so fantastic. I just finished the book yeah. and it's 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 definitely revolutionizing my own business because I'm I'm stepping out of things that, you know, I don't need to be doing. Yeah. And it's really like just poof, taking off. So I'm, I'm loving that. So you're the visionary. Yeah, I am. I am very much so. And it's, uh, when I read the book, there was something that, that really uh, resonated with me because it, I can go and I have gone down into it. And I don't mean to say down because it's really integrators that kind of rule the world. I mean, I'm speaking visionary to visionary here because if we didn't have integrators, bro, none of our shit would get accomplished. You know, we'd have all these amazing ideas and be able to come up with these things that could literally change the world, but there's no way that we can do them because while we can integrate, for me, it's only a period of time. And as I was reading this, it's like, the, you know, visionaries will get very frustrated in the integrator role, you know, and, and start to drift away and try to find something new and all that. I'm like, and my phrasing was like, yeah, I literally get brain damage 
if I try to be an integrator for too long. Because it it just eats away at me. How do you feel about that? Same, same. You know, I was going over processes and procedures and just organizational things. And that just, oof, it's like pushing the boulder up the hill by yourself. But I know it's, you know, it's, it's part of the process now as we're scaling. So, you know, we edit between 300 and 400 videos a month, right? So it's, it is a massive undertaking. Not only do we, do we do the videos, but we also distribute the content across all platforms. So having everybody talking to one another, knowing when the ball gets handed off at what point, who's got the accountability, you know, making sure that, you know, so-and-so is responsible instead of, cause like some people wear multiple hats and that's fine. But like knowing when that ball gets, gets thrown and who has it and how that hasn't really been, um, the strongest point up to now. Right. And so now we're, we're really getting granular about what it is that we're doing and all of the processes and procedures. But since we've done that, uh, we've, we've saved already over $10,000 a month just because we've gotten granular about what it is that we're doing and why people are doing what we're, what they're doing. Right. So, Hey, you need to stop and think about why it is that you're doing that. Not necessarily because we've been doing it for six months this way. That doesn't matter. You know, there's, there's better ways to do it. And if there's a better way to do it, that can save you hundreds of hours. Well then let's start doing it that way. You got it, man. Yeah. That's awesome to hear that you, that point in your evolution and, if you don't mind for people that are listening, because th- this is, there's a process you're describing. And I've noticed this in, in building companies is that right away when you're in a growth mode like that, it's actually okay to be less efficient because less efficient means is that you're actually getting stuff done and moving forward. You know, Cause if yeah. you try to go in with that fully planned out strategy right away, it's going to hold you back. It's like perfection versus progress. Yeah, and, and this is when they look at like SaaS companies, software companies, they call it the rule of 40, right? So if you have 20% gross margin and 20% top line growth, you combine those together and it's 40. But that's like a mature company when it's 2020. If you're at the beginning or if you just made some acquisitions or you're, you're just coming up with brand new services to bring to market or products, your, your revenue is actually going to accelerate faster than your profit will because you're pouring so much back into it and you're doing things inefficiently at that point in time, but your company's growing, you're making money, you're producing cash flow. So it could even be more like 35 and five, (laughs) you know, 35% top line growth, but only 5% profit. That's it. But that's because you're, you're in this high growth mode at that moment. So you've got, you've got like the, the correction, right? Where you're at right now, which is really cool because it's like this ebb and flow and it, it starts to pick up at the back end after you say, okay, now we can see sustainable revenue growth. Now we have to go back do things more efficiently so we can make more money at things we're already doing. Hallelujah. Yeah. Tell them. I was, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because as, as the marketing person, we have also become sort of coaches for our clients because with us, they, they, they hire us every month to create content and distribute. But also what's happening is, you know, they're experiencing growth. Then they're also experiencing 
what it means to, okay, guys, we, we, we really need to focus on the messaging, focus on the one thing we can't get, you know, we can't get crazy about all of your, your different offers. The one thing is what's going to bring people into the door. Once they're here, then you can open up the menu, you know, but that's the biggest, that's one of the biggest things that I have to talk to my clients about always is that they're constantly like, well, don't forget we do this and don't forget we do that. And don't, and I'm like, wait, hey, 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 like confused people don't buy right? One thing, get them into the door and then open up the menu. And then you go, Hey, you know, we also do this and we can help you with that, you know? So, um, so that's, that's one of the things that as, as I'm growing in, as a marketing expert in this field, I'm also having to do coaching just to make sure that they stay on board, right? Like the marketing you have to, you have to keep them in the box. You have to keep your clients in the box. Do the same thing in security. We have to keep our people in the box, our clients in the box, because they, they come up with these ideas and we will help them achieve any outcome they want. Yeah. Right. And and there's even a, a canvas that's on the wall in the offices here within the studios that has the word can't with a big no sign through it, because it's not a word that's in our culture. If a client asks for an outcome, we will never say, sorry, we can't do that. What we will say is we don't do that because... Right. And then we give them an alternative solution to still achieve the outcome because we're keeping them in the box, man. So they can get to where they want without losing their tail. (laughs) I'll tell you, I I just picked up a company that is trying to be the Uber for grass cutting for lawn care called Grasshop. Yeah, it's cool. We're actually, we're, yeah, we're going to shoot some video today for them. But, you know, they, they sent me, they sent me like a bunch of videos of them talking about ideas that they had. And they're like, Hey man, just, you know, feel free to shoot it down. You know, if you want to like already thinking that way. And I'm like, guys, I'm not, I, I come from an improv background too. I, I studied with upright citizens brigade, you know, and I did comedy sports and, and part of the, the, the philosophy between, behind improv is yes. And right. It's yes. And not, I'm not going to say no, I'm not going to say no, but I'm not going to say yes, but cause that's also denying, I'm going to accept what you're talking about and then let's build on it. Right. Cause the idea is good. Right. Which part of the, part of the other part is make your partner look like a rock star. Right. So that way you're empowering them to, to, to be who they are, to follow their instincts. Cause there's stuff in there. It, it might be unrefined, but, but what you can do is you can take that idea and you can cultivate it and you can build on it with the yes and, you know, you make them look like a rock star, that empowers them to be better, right? And then the third part is, is say the first thing that comes to your head because sometimes that is the instinct, right? That people ignore always. And I'm like, why aren't you going with that? You know, that was a good idea. It may not, you know, you, you didn't think about it all the way through and that's okay, but just get it out there first. And then we can cultivate it and build upon it, you know? So that's my, that, that's our culture here is, is yes. And how do we build, how can we take your ideas and, and build upon that? You know? So I love, you know, I love the, the, the can't through with the through line. I mean, yeah, for sure. It's, it's all about possibilities here. Yeah, man. Culture is so important too. When anybody starts a business or tries to run or grow a business, that's the biggest thing that gets out of whack. And as you grow bigger, this is why, I mean, this is full circle in our conversation today too. That's why I started the CEO talks on Mondays. It's to continuously instill culture. As new people come on with our acquisitions, they'll just be able to hear the voice of the person that sets the tone. 100%. It's a beautiful line. I just made that up right now. There you go. Hear the voice of the person that sets the tone. Yeah. 
quote it. Um, Rick, so you you started off as an MSP. Yeah. And you have a publicly traded company where you are acquiring other MSPs throughout the country. Is that correct? That's exactly it. We're putting pins on the map all over the place. Because Reach Out is the first and only, as of right now, pure MSP that's ever gone public. And uh, we're building the first nationwide brand. Because right now, there's nobody that you know of who to call if you get breached or need help. You always turn to Google or to a friend to refer you or something like that. There's never, you know, I guess we're going to be the Ghostbusters of cybersecurity and IT for small businesses. So with a service-based business like MSPs are, are there other companies that you guys are, are, are sort of emulating that have franchised, that have gone national, that you can talk about? Like, how did you come up with this idea? Not so much that I could think of. I guess the best thing that I could think of would, would maybe be Geek Squad. And ironically, I was the first Geek Squad agent in Chicago when Best Buy acquired Geek Squad. So I, I saw them pick them up and then launch them nationwide. So from a rollout perspective, still Best Buy only acquired one company to do that. Right. And then they poured a bunch of capital into it. They, they put a bunch of money to just grow it internally and organically. Whereas I'm going out and I'm, it's almost like the reverse way. You know, I'm starting with mine and then I'm going out and buying a whole bunch more to, to build it up as fast as I possibly can. You know, and really it's like the next two years we'll be, we'll be all over the place because we're, we're acquiring somewhere between, you know, depending on what the top line revenue ends up being, which is around 50 million. Yeah, we'll be acquiring anywhere between like 35 and 65 MSPs over the next two years to, to start to put these pins on the map. Yeah, and it's uh, roll-ups are nothing new because that, that's the business model. You know, I, I've looked at other regional style roll-ups like a friend of mine is the largest uh, prepaid T-Mobile vendor in like Southeast US. You know, he started about three and a half years ago with two stores and now he has over 150 you know, went from about three million in revenue to two hundred million in revenue in just about three years, and that's yeah. just because he started picking all these off, right? And and Talk More Wireless is the name of it. He's Jimmy Ralph. He's an amazing human. He's actually a a friend of mine and and a good mentor. So I watched some of what he's done, and I've taken a look at some of these other smaller, like regional style roll ups. Like, well, why can't we do it nationwide? I'm surprised nobody's done this yet, because I, I even if there's smaller regional ones. That have existed, which there are, you know, there's MSPs that have merged, you know, like I know of one in Texas that three of them merged and one became the CEO and one was the COO, one was the CTO and it became kind of like the big 10. I don't know who it is. Yeah. But, but it was like, uh, you're talking like the 20 from, uh, the 20, that's it. The 20, that's it. That's not Tim Conkle. I know Tim too. And he's, uh, he's acquiring, right. He's doing it privately. And that's one of the differences too, is that I'm, I'm doing it publicly, you know, with the publicly held company, which is one of the things that differentiates what I'm doing because those who come on, especially the sellers dude that want to stay, because I'm doing this to create wealth. It's like, I've done it for myself. People need to, to be secure. People need help because small businesses represent over 70% of America, 70% of American jobs. Right. And, And these are the businesses that are going under and crashing and burning because they get breached. Next door neighbor, even in our business park, had this happen. You know, and th- then we see you know, companies that have hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars 
Right? We just had one that was a, a, they were a former client of ours and they, they hired somebody internal because they thought they were going to save money like three years ago, called us up just a month and a half ago, just 45 days ago, man, and said, we just had $1.2 million stolen. I'm like, awesome. You're one of the cases that we get to call the FBI <laughs> because the FBI has a threshold of a million dollars right. before they go after these things. You know, and that, that's the thing. It's like if they didn't have that relationship with us in the past, they would have never known who to call to try to recover right. this money. You know, and even more so, come back in and say, you know what? Obviously, things have changed over the last three years. And when we walk in, like, you know, you were telling us about this. We were just in a transition period. You know, we just didn't know what we didn't know. And you, but to, to your credit, you literally told us to do everything that you're doing right now for us. I wish we had done this three years ago. Well, no kidding, right? Because it would have saved you $1.2 million, literally $1.2 million. It's, uh, it's crazy, man. So the modeling companies, I don't know. I'm a forger, bro. You know, I can see things that I pick out of different areas and then apply them to what I'm doing. A roll-up is nothing new, but a public roll-up in my industry is new because I'm the only one. Right. Let me ask you this. For a small business like myself, why, you know, of, of all the money that has to go out, right? employees, marketing, operations, you know, and I don't, I don't have IT, you know, and I hear stories about, you know, people getting breached and, you know, how can you convince somebody that this is the priority? Like how high on the priority is it in your opinion, you know, when, when it comes to doling out money for your small business, where does IT stand in that, um, in that hierarchy? It's an interesting question that you ask, and it's changing right now, you know, because uh, I'm also very pragmatic and very realistic. You know, if you have a, a branding agency or marketing agency, digital agency that you have, you know, where I would see, at least in the past years, where it would affect you the most is if you were breached, you know, the, I'd say your biggest threat would be ransomware. You know, because if somebody clicks on a link, within your office, right? Because you have a lot of data, man. And when I say data, you have a lot of videos for clients, right. right? You have a lot of content that you've created. Ransomware encrypts all of those. You can't touch them. You can't access them. You can't do anything with them. So you're literally shut down, right? Unless you buy a brand new computer and start to go out and film brand new content that day for every single one of your clients. You're talking about a lot of resources, which costs a lot of money, to continue to provide your services. Because if you don't continue to provide your services like you do, now you have to pause billings. At least you probably should pause billings for all of your clients because you can't post their stuff. Right? You, you right. don't have access to even do that anymore to, to the data that's there, the videos, the content that you've created. So for you, your biggest threat would be stoppage of business, you know, which would also be cessation of revenue you know, or a pause in the revenue that you would take in. Would it be something to where you could have like a data leak, like, you know, like a Marriott or something? I don't see you having critical or personally identifiable information, at least not right. that much that I would think of. So your damages as far as to other people might not be that great, but your damage to your own business is paramount. Right. And now yeah. in order to get, cause you still have to carry insurance policies, right? You still have to carry professional liability because it errors and emissions. You have contracts with your clients talking with people in that industry. Now 
you, in order to get professional liability, they're going to start to require cyber liability. And in order to even underwrite you for cyber liability, you have to have certain controls in place, which are things like, I was talking with an agent who I was a, a producer just on a plane, right? I have these conversations all the time on planes. This was just a month ago. And she's throwing out all these acronyms like EDR and SIEM, S-I-E-M, you know, better than MSPs can. You know, I mean, I was sitting, I was aroused, dude, sitting next to her because I'm like an insurance producer knows this industry better than 80% of the people in the industry. Right. She's saying that she cannot get coverage for people when they don't have these controls in place for cyber. So just like years ago when we started to see auto insurance become mandated by states in order to actually even drive a car, you're going to start to see this, that cyber controls are going to be mandated by insurance carriers in order to be covered. How long do you think that's going to take to implement? Uh, 12 to 24 months. Really? We're seeing it now. You know, it's not going to be by state law. We're seeing it now in regulated industries, meaning uh, financial companies, medical agencies, those things, you know, but it's starting to bleed over into manufacturing because manufacturing carries intellectual property. And you're going to start to see this move over to the digital world that you're in because it's going to just trickle down because dude, the same carriers like travelers, right? Travelers insures medical clinics just as the same as they would insure you. So they're going to start to apply these controls because their job as an insurance company is to mitigate their own financial risk. That's it. They still have to make money. So if they see it working in other industries, which they're doing right now in the present, we're going to see this in the next one to two years across the board. Meaning if you don't have those things in place, the insurance companies don't have to pay you. Exactly. Exactly. They don't even have to cover you. They will just deny coverage. Right. Yeah. That's, that's kind of crazy. So it's an education thing then as we're getting as we're getting into, into this world and as, you know, technology is, is being more and more integrated in, into what everything that we do is going to be more and more important to have uh, an, an IT specialist to, to cover you. You got it, man. And that's one of the things, because I mean, small businesses, depending on how many employees you have, right? Because our services are really geared for those that have maybe 20 people and above because they're, they're white glove. Right, we're, we're throwing in an entire virtual IT department. You get access to so many smart people. You know, you, you know, text message access. That re, I mean, our response time averages like four minutes these days. You know, to something like this. And you know, the longest time we've ever had a client down before we fully one hundred percent recovered them from ransomware is two hours. That's literally it before everything was back up and running. I mean, we're badasses when it comes to this stuff. However, That's incredible. Those services are expensive as fuck. They, they just are, you know, because there's so much that goes into them, so much value. But when you compare the risk associated, like the $1.2 million, it's a drop in the bucket how much these services cost. But I recognize that those, you know, because small businesses, when I talk about that, small businesses, the 70% of American jobs are really those that might be like under 100 employees, maybe under, I don't remember what the SBA defines a small business as for this 70% where the revenue threshold is. However, you see a lot of small businesses that are maybe five people, maybe seven people. Uh, And for something like that, the services that ReachOut provides today are not accessible to them. They're not. You know, just like I'm trying to make big business security 
affordable and accessible for small businesses, I'm also going to be pushing forward to make that affordable and accessible to micro businesses. I call them micro businesses, like, you know, like the five people, the six people. That way you can at least have the proper controls in place for an affordable dollar amount. You might not need the white glove when you're five or six people, but at least you can still be covered by insurance and have a good amount of protection in place. Not necessarily like the condom of security where you're only like 72% protected. Heard. So are you guys, how are you helping these micro businesses? Yeah, they come on right now because we. I think our smallest client is three people or two people, something like that. But there's a there's a minimum point of entry in MPE, which is three grand a month for these guys. So it, it depends if it makes sense for them. And I mean, we don't we don't mince words when it comes to this because it just costs that much. It costs us that much because we have. I mean, you've been to some of the conferences actually with me, right? And this industry talks about the stack, which is how many layers of security are in place. And when I speak, I'm like, how many people, how many MSPs in this room? You know, 700 people, right? Have five layers in your stack. You know, almost the whole room raises their hand. I'm like, how about 10? Half the room goes down. How about 15? Now there's like maybe 20 people left in that room of 700. I'm like, how about 20? Now there's might, might be one or two. That's it. Like 25? All the hands are down. My hand's staying up. Like, how about 30? How about 34? That's where ReachOut's current layers stand at 34 different security layers. And it's expensive. So that's that's what is, I guess that's how cybersecurity works is, is making people go through so many different doors where they're just like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm out. I'm not even. Yeah, you got it. You make it difficult. And you know, there's some layers that might not be needed by others. Like there's one called a honeypot, right? It just, Think about how bees are attracted to a honeypot, right? They're attracted to that. That's a, it's a decoy that, that goes out there. It's a server that's open on the internet that just says, hey, I've got some cool stuff here. Come and hack me. Uh, and that way it diverts attention away from the, the real deal oh, that, that's cool. that is locked down. You, you don't really need that unless you have intellectual property, like you have patents or something like that, you know, to something that, that is tangible. So th- that type of solution, because that's an expensive solution to do something like that, you almost mimic an entire network and make it look completely real just to divert attention away. I mean, I'm talking like different internet carriers and everything, you know, it's smoke and mirrors so that it, it they actually don't see the real thing that's right next to it. It's pretty cool uh, to, in order to do that this. That sounds awesome. It's expensive but it's made for the people who have really expensive stuff to protect. Here's a question for you. Um, what happens, let me, let me see if I can phrase this properly. So if, if you're like out marketing, like yourself, you, you, you market yourself all the time. When you, you know, when you take on a client, right? Would it be like, is it almost a challenge for hackers to be like, Oh, that guy's talking like he's like he's the man. I'm gonna I'm gonna like make it my mission to like hack that dude's stuff. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Think about that, right? You know, kind of like Elon Musk. You know, when he was putting Starlink up over Ukraine. I'm not exactly at his level, yeah, but he's like, I wouldn't be surprised if I just like disappear off the face of the earth soon. And he was alluding to you know assassination attempts because he was literally putting up co- the communications device that would allow Ukraine to continue communicating in the face of Russia's invasion. You know, right. So it's, I mean, that, that's, that's hardcore. And I'm, I'm with you on that because 
reach out does, especially as we continue to go into North America and eventually global, yeah, we'll be an increasing target. You know, which means that we obviously have to provide the same stuff and keep our own house in order. The same things we do for clients. And that's another, what's the phrase, right? A carpenter's home is never finished or something like that. Or a a carpenter's home is always in disrepair. Yeah. The shoemaker's kid doesn't have shoes. You got it. Yeah. Right on. That's the case in this industry mostly too, is that you see MSPs that are selling these services, but they're not even putting these controls in place themselves. Yeah, and that's a lot of them, man. And then they start to go out of business. And because they don't even have the controls, because, it, I mean, it, it is this industry, they can't get their own cyber liability coverage or their own professional. It's amazing how many don't even carry the proper insurance. But for us, we get hit. I mean, we had one, you know, we've got all of our, we do the same for us, you know, and we put things in place for us before we even do our clients, right? Because we test everything in labs and then we introduce new services and everything goes for us first, man. I'm protecting my own with that. Sure. But we still have attacks. I mean, we had one, I think our latest one was maybe five weeks ago, six weeks ago, something like that. But the the symptom was that, man, everything's really sluggish, right? And we we had a a group of people doing a DDoS. It's a distributed uh, denial of service attack. Pretty much they just start to pummel you with traffic to where your servers cannot handle it and it causes them to go down, right? So that's it. And we had one of those going on, but it was rectified. No joke. Three minutes. That's it. And it's because we do the same in-house that we do for our clients and we have all the right controls in place to identify this thing on the spot. One of our security engineers reviewed it, done in three minutes. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you made the point as far as like people not doing what they, they're preaching. You know, I, I don't know how many marketing companies that talk about what they do don't do it for their themselves. And I'm like, <laughs> I appreciate you for that. You know, and as you're throwing this yeah. out, man, because I, I love your content you put out. I follow you. You know, I appreciate it. You do the same thing for yourself that you do for your clients. I've noticed that because I've used branding agencies in the past, man, that they're not even active on their own accounts. Yeah. It's, it's, it yeah. blows my mind because it's like, I feel like that's the first thing a client's going to ask me. They're like, well, let me look at your social media. What are you doing? Be like, well, you know, I'm focused on my client. Be like, well, no, it works because I'm doing it. So I am, you know, a member. What is it? Who, who is the, the commercial? I'm not just a. Oh, the I'm hair club for a, men. Yeah. The owner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a customer. I'm a client, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm not only the president. I'm also a client. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For sure. I mean, yeah. I'm, 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 dude. All about it. I know we're gonna wrap up here in a second. Um, is there it's been anything, a fun combo, bro? Bro, look. Um, sometimes these, sometimes these interviews are amazing, and it's just like boop, 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 boop. You know, sometimes it's like uh, pulling teeth. You know. But uh, with you, it's been an amazing time. I knew it was going to be. I knew, uh, what are we? We were trying to do this for like two months. Something like we that. We finally yeah. got in. Yeah, man. So uh, I know you're a busy guy. I really no, appreciate dude, thanks it. Thanks for your patience on this. I'm all over the place, right? I actually had a, I appreciate these guys. Bloomberg is amazing, right? But they, for the first time, they even like pushed a segment for me last week rather than getting somebody else. I was filming a TV show, you know, Two Minute Drill, but they're like, no, we're going to yeah, wait for Rick. I you saw know? it. But that's the importance of a personal brand, dude. I didn't start there right away to where Bloomberg asked for me specifically when I started this journey five years ago, and now they do. And I appreciate them 100%. for it. I'm grateful, man. I'm very grateful. Oh, I, look, let me tell you something. I use you as an example all the time. 
all the Thank time. You. I'm like, Thank you. look at this guy's, look at this guy's Instagram. Look at, look at how he's doing. Like this guy's blowing up because he's so consistent with his messaging. He's out there. He's, you know, he's gotten better, obviously, you know, through the practice of creating content, you know, your messaging is on point. Your, your, your branding is on point. It's everything is just like magnifique. It's great. Thank you, brother. So uh, let them know where the, we can find you. Yeah, man. Instagram at Mr. Rick Jordan. And uh, my website is rickjordan.tv, but most of my content that I push out there is at Mr. Rick Jordan on Instagram. Yeah, very good stuff. Rick, um, we'll do this again, man. Yeah, dude, anytime. Uh, I'm in. We're going to be in touch because uh, love what you're doing and uh, want to be involved in in some, in some way or, or somehow. So thank you guys so much for watching Spaghetti on the Wall. You guys can watch us uh, anywhere you can find a podcast. And this has been brought to you by LaDuke Entertainment for all of your social media marketing needs, video production, anything you guys need for digital marketing. We got you. Thank you guys so much. Rick Jordan, thank you. We'll see you all next time.